Uh, welcome to those who are joining us online, and welcome everyone who is here in, uh, in, in, uh, in the building, on site with us. Um, we've just about finished all of the renovation work, um, so that's great. You get to sit a little bit more comfortably. Uh, someone at the earlier church said, um, don't talk for too long because it's comfy and I might fall asleep. So yeah, if you sat at home on the couch and you fall asleep, then just, you know, watch it later. And if you fall asleep while you're here, then go on and, and have a look later on. So uh, we're starting a new series today. We're looking at uh, Mark uh, chapter 10 through this series. And today is going to be verses 2 uh, through 16 of Mark 10. Um, and I'm calling it Topsy-Turvy Kingdom. You might go, what's Topsy-Turvy? I don't know if that translates to American. Uh, upside down, inside out, back to front, all of the above. Um, so we're in Mark 10. And right here is the point where we've just um, kind of come out of transfiguration. And we're in that gap before Jesus enters Jerusalem um, on Palm Sunday. So we've had a critical point of Mark. Um, we've had um, Peter's confession. Okay, his confession that Jesus is the Christ. And in Matthew, uh, the response to that from Jesus is, this hasn't been revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. Okay? And then, and then he warns them not to say anything. Okay? And in Mark, he does the same. He warns people, don't say that to anyone just yet. Okay? People aren't ready to hear that. Okay? Right after this point in, in, in Mark, where we have Peter's confession, up to that point, we've had a very straight path. Okay? This happens, then that happens, then this happens, and then we get that. Okay? It's expedient, and it's straightforward, and it's direct. As we get to Peter's confession, we get a little bit of a change to the structure of the gospel. We get a kind of a, a circular, coiling mess before we arrive at Holy Week, where once again, we hit the straight path to the cross. And that's where we are. We're in this kind of messy space of Mark's gospel, where Jesus is saying the same thing many times, but through different explanations and different stories. And he's talking about the fact that the kingdom of God is not like the world that we live in or the world that those people he was speaking to at the time lived in. Okay? It's the opposite. It's upside down. It's countercultural. Jesus is, as I said, he's moving toward Jerusalem at this moment. He's left Galilee, and he is on the journey to Jerusalem. And he's passing through lots of different neighboring towns, lots of neighborhoods, lots of different people who may have heard him before, who may not have heard him before, but the Pharisees are still out to get him. Okay? And we read in, in Mark here in, in chapter 10 that they say, that it, that it says, um, the Pharisees try to test him or to trap him, some translations will say. Um, and why is this a test? Why, why is this a trap? 
Well, in order to get that, really, we need to look at a bit of context. Yeah, like I just said, Jesus is on that journey. He's, he's making his way to Jerusalem. And right now, he happens to be in the, in the Judean wilderness. Okay? And someone else is well known in the Judean, the Judean wilderness, and that would be John the Baptist. He prepared the way for Jesus. This was John the Baptist's ground. And um, John the Baptist was pretty harsh on Herod when it came to his living um, situation. Herod had married his brother's wife. Okay? Now, Herodias, she had to divorce Philip in order to be able to marry Herod. And we all know that you carry on, you later on, you see, in Mark 1, just, we all, we all concentrate on the fact that Jesus came into the scene and he declared the kingdom of God is now. Repent and believe the good news. But often missed is that little bit before that, just after John had been put in prison, Jesus came out onto the scene. Okay? And why was he put in prison? He was put in prison because of how he spoke out against the king, against King Herod for his living situation. And we find that out a little bit later in, in a flashback uh, from, from, this, from this gospel as to what happened to John. Okay, and that's in chapter 6 of, of Mark. This is flashback. John lost his head. He was killed because he spoke out against the king. Because he spoke out against this marriage situation that they, that, 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 that they had. And so the Pharisees are here coming at Jesus and saying, what about this marriage thing? What about divorce? What's that all about? Is it allowed? They're trying to trap him, to test him, to see if they can get him to say some of the things that John said. They're trying to... Um, if he won't do that, to, to maybe say something against Moses and therefore get the people's back up. But he doesn't do any of those things. Instead, he comes at them and he says, what, what did Moses command you on this? And here's where a lot of people kind of fall into some struggle today. Divorce happens to be something which the law permits. Okay, um, but just because the law permits it, does that mean that it fits into God's design? Does that mean it fits into the, the purpose of creation? It, it doesn't, because we know from Jesus' words, that I'm going to read now from verse, uh, from verse 5. It says, Jesus said to them, for your hardness of heart, he, and the he is Moses, because they're talking about what Moses commanded, he wrote for you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his wife and mother and be joined to his wife. Shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one. Okay? I want to say, firstly, Moses, 
Moses was not condoning divorce. Moses was not encouraging divorce. He was simply giving permission for divorce because of the hardness of heart that man had. That's it. And secondly, that Jesus doesn't fall into that trap of saying something against Moses or something against Herod and, and falling into a treasonous statement. He just highlights that Moses has given that permission. And he says, okay, Moses gave that permission, but, but the purpose of God is the word from Genesis, which is Genesis chapter 2. And he quotes it back and he just says, that's the way. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And that's marriage. That's what Jesus is saying right there. And that's not exactly in line with what the world will think today. Many people will enter into marriage because they think it's a good idea at the time. But they like the fact they've got this safety blanket, this, this comfort blanket of divorce in case things go wrong. And as with many things when you look at Scripture, choosing to talk about these things can get us in trouble with the world, can get people's back up, can have some people come and say some choice words towards you. Especially if you look at verses 11 and 12 of what Jesus says, when he goes away and he's specifically talking to his disciples, where he says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. Whoever divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. That's quite, maybe, maybe we're thinking, oh, it's pretty harsh when we look at the world's terms, when we look at what the world says about relationships, about marriage, about divorce. Maybe you think, hmm, those words seem rather cruel. Maybe you think, they're unforgiving words. Maybe, maybe you think they point to an exclusivity or they lack sensitivity. Maybe you even think, and I've heard people say before, well, they're just unchristian. For someone to say that words of Jesus are unchristian is, to me, laughable, but laughable in a very sad way. Um, but that's what people think. Because I think all of those things are not right. Okay? We know this is what Jesus is talking about as marriage. He is, for him, it is the perfect design. It is in line with God's perfect model for creation. And that's why he references Genesis, the story of creation. That's the way the perfect design. That's the way we are called to live. If we were perfect but we're not perfect we're fallen and that's one of the reasons because of our hard-heartedness our fallenness that Moses gave permission for divorce to happen because marriage in God's eyes is meant forever marriage is when a man leaves his family to go and be with his wife. Okay? That's what Jesus says. 
But in this fallen world, mistakes are happen. Mistakes are made. Okay, we make mistakes as people. But also, also, governments make mistakes and set laws that maybe shouldn't be set. They give permission where maybe permission shouldn't be given. That's not to say that divorce is ever an easy thing, because it isn't. I've been with people who have gone through divorce. I've seen the, the, the pain that can create. I've seen the impact that can have on people's lives. I've seen the impact that can have on children who are connected to that marriage, whether they be young or whether they be grown men and women who are off not even living with their parents anymore, but are still deeply impacted when a divorce happens. We've got to have concern for those people. Jesus isn't saying, don't have concern, don't pray for, don't love, don't, don't support other individuals. He's just telling us the perfect model of what Christ believes because the Father has instituted. Okay, divorce isn't easy, but marriage isn't easy. You know, working through difficulties is the preferred option. That's what Scripture tells us. It's the preferred option. But like I said, we are in a fallen world. We are fallen beings. And because we're fallen, we get to not act within that perfect way. We don't get to always see the picture of how we connect with that bigger ongoing model and mission of God. So marriage is the preferred option. But what is more Christian, I would say, to this. If somebody is going through a divorce or feels the need to go through a divorce because of long-lasting bitterness, ill effects, um, not the greatest sense of um, health, either physical or mental for the children that are involved and how it just separation is needed for, for health, healthy living to continue. What's more Christian? To say divorce is wrong, it's not going to happen, pull yourself together, work it out, or to walk with them and support them and encourage them in staying connected to God and knowing that that permission has been given because of the fallenness of this world. Okay? And Jesus isn't saying don't do the latter here. He's just spelling out for us what God's design for marriage is. And that's one of the options that he's pointing out in the topsy-turvy nature of the kingdom is we don't follow the laws of the land because the laws of the land don't always equate to the kingdom. Don't go against the laws of the land, but you don't have to follow those which are contrary to the kingdom, when by not following them, you're not breaking the law, if that makes sense. Okay? Just because law is permissible, the law permissible for, 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 um, for divorce doesn't mean you have to be divorced or you have to get divorced. Just because the law makes it okay doesn't mean you have to do it. If the law says you shouldn't do something, then Scripture tells us you shouldn't do it. 
But just because the law says you can do something doesn't mean you should. And especially when it goes contrary to what Scripture is telling us how we should live our lives. I say it many times, and I'll say it many, many more, and you might get fed up of hearing it eventually. Wherever you declare Jesus to be Lord, that's where you're going to see the kingdom of God. Whether that's in your life, um, in relationships, whether that's in your workplace, whether that's in your home, your marriage, as, as a parent, whether that's in your bank account, wherever it is, if you say and act with Jesus as being Lord in that place, the kingdom of God is right there. Because you can't have a kingdom without a king. And wherever you declare him to be king, you will see his kingdom. Okay? And that happens in our lives, in our relationships, in our families. I was hearing some people talk this morning about praying for their kids. The minute they're born praying for their future mate. Okay, declaring Jesus as Lord over that child's relationships from the off. And welcoming in the kingdom there and there alone. For all of that and everything else that they pray into. The very action of making Jesus Lord is kind of upside down in today's world. Yeah, kind of be laughed at by some. That's not the way the world works. That's not what the world tries to teach and push on us. It wasn't when Jesus was walking the earth and it, and it isn't now. Yeah, the world will try to teach you and, and try to have you live into um, doing whatever makes you happy. Or listening to your heart. Yeah, or as long as you don't physically hurt anybody else, it's all good. Get on with what you want. That's what the world would want you to believe. And I feel that God wants you to hear that's not right. I think God wants you to hear it's actually the opposite of that. Because Scripture tells us, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is devious. It's devious above all else. It's perverse. Who, who, who can understand the heart? That's what Jeremiah 17 says. We know from Jesus' own teachings that the heart, it's out of the heart that all evil thoughts come. All, all things that are wrong, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. It all comes out of the heart. So when someone says to you, follow your heart, think of those things that Jesus says come out of your heart. Because we're not called to follow our heart. We're called to follow Jesus. Okay, we're called to follow Jesus. And yes, if we are following Jesus and declaring him Lord, we get to live in a little bit to what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tell us, which is to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Because as we do that, 
We are not going to rely on our own insight. We are instead going to rely on his. And in all ways, we're going to acknowledge him as who he is. And he is who he says he is. And he will make straight your path. It comes back to that, declaring Jesus as being Lord. Lord. Not just Savior. Lord and Savior. He can't save you if you don't let him be your Lord. And where we live into this, where we, where we trust in him, where we rely on him, through acknowledging him, he will make our path straight. And what does it mean to make our path straight? It means to keep us in line with the kingdom. Putting him first and foremost above all else. Including feelings, including emotions. Because when we do that, we will see more of the kingdom of God. We will see more of the kingdom of God breaking in to the world in which we live right now. It will be realized in our lives. But even the disciples, as we go through the rest of this first part of Mark 10, even they aren't getting it. When they're walking with him and he's saying it to them, and he's constantly been on them, kingdom of God is like. And he's telling them what it is. He's telling them how the difference between the now that they're living in and the what's to come and how they need to have them, and how there's that disconnect. We live in a world that is disconnected from the kingdom of God. And even here, the disciples, as we move into verses 13 and to 13 through 16, where we have Jesus teaching the disciples. And he specifically had them through in the verses 11 and 12, we just saw it. He's specifically explaining to them what he has been meaning when he's been, been talking to the Pharisees and giving that perfect model for marriage and how we've got to be different to the world. People bring children to Jesus. And the disciples' response, his closest followers rebuke them for doing so. In my mind, it, it kind of goes a little bit like, um, not today. Don't you realize Jesus is kind of a busy man? He ain't got time for kids. Go on. Go on. He's doing this important teaching stuff. And, and just, what's Jesus' response? He says, whoa. No, 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 no. Let the children come to me. Let them come to me. See, a common practice, less so now, um, but definitely in the, in the Roman world, children were the least of the least. When I was growing up, there was that phrase, children should be seen and not heard. And right now, I'm like, no. Children need to be heard. 
Children need to be heard. I remember when I was younger, I'd be in church, and my father would be doing something very similar to what I am now, and uh, a kid would make a noise, and there'd be someone who'd give a stare. Maybe there'd be a tut from someone else. And he'd just stop and say, it's all right, let them run around. Just let them be let them be what they need to be right now. It's okay, we can get on with what we're doing. Let them let them make a noise. And I'd say that to anyone who was here who had who had kids. We don't have many kids right now running around, but I can't wait to get them back. And there'll be times when they'll be together with us and they'll be making noise. And I look at Paul knowing that I'm going to say something. <laughs> I want to give him shakers. I want to, I want to let him run around with tambourines. <laughs> yeah? Because that's a joyful noise for the kingdom. Not every song, Paul. Just occasionally. Right? But then there'll be times when they'll go and they'll do their own thing. And they'll be worshipping and making as much noise as they want. And, 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 and hearing the stories that we're hearing and, and exposing scripture as we are, but at a level which they can relate to and, and, and doing crafts and, and, and just having fun, but learning all about gospel. But that's not always how kids have been viewed. And in the Roman world, they were the bottom of the pile. Yeah, yeah, there was a structure very similar to, the, to the today in that you, kind of, you had the emperor. After the emperor, you had the, the nobles with the senators. And, and then you had the, the common folk. And in a household, you'd have the, the father who would run the household. And, and below him would be his wife and his slaves. And then, and then you'd have the kids, less than a slave. The father got to do whatever he wanted with those kids. He got, to, he got to sell them if he wanted to. He could put them to work. If, if, a, if a kid was born out of wedlock, the father could decide to get rid of it. If he didn't want to sell it, slay it. If it was born with a disability, They'd get rid of it. Why? Because kids were at best, at best made for work. They were, it's more economic than anything else. And for the upper class, they were simply an heir. They were kept out of sight. They were, they were shut up until the point when they took over. That was the best that a kid could have. And Jesus is saying here, no, let them come to me. He says, let them come to me. What does he do in that moment? He promotes them. He says, you are not the lowest of the low. You have equality. You are valued. You are worth something. And what does Jesus say? He says, the kingdom of God belongs to those such as these. And that such as these, it's not just kids. It's all of those who the world treat as worthless. Because when we declare Jesus to be Lord, we're declaring him to be Lord. 
We're declaring to follow what he says, and we're declaring to treat others with worth. Let them come to me, Jesus says. The kingdom of God belongs to those. Everyone has worth, and the kingdom of God can belong to anybody who chooses to step into it. And how do we step into it? We declare Jesus to be Lord. It's that simple. Jesus promotes the children. Jesus speaks to the value of marriage. And he says, the world might not think these things are important, but he's telling us that God, in his initial design, says they are important. Talk about children. I always say, um, I joke with my wife a little bit about this, but there's a seri very serious undertone. I always say, I like to be childlike. I'm not childish most of the time, but I do like to be childlike, and especially when it comes to faith. I like to be childlike, because that's what we're all called to be. But what does being childlike actually mean? Don't know if you've ever thought about that. What's it mean to have a childlike faith? Well, it doesn't mean slipping into childish ways. It doesn't mean um, forever trying uh, to, to have the simplistic things in life. It doesn't mean trying to oversimplify things, but it does mean it does mean trusting fully in the Lord. Okay? It does mean that, that sometimes you need to hear a word that is going to captivate you to follow. But once you hear that word, you don't need to overthink it. You just need to follow. Don't know if you ever thought about that. When you teach a kid something new, they believe you. They don't question you. Which is a good thing as long as you're teaching them the right thing. But Jesus never teaches us the wrong thing. And we've got to believe. We've got to be captivated by the words that we read and the words that we hear and the prophetic words that are spoken over us. We've got to be able to um, feel and embrace. Yeah? I don't know how many people of you have, 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 have really kind of felt God embrace you. But when God, went, when, when God came to earth in the form of Jesus and Jesus went to the cross, he spread out his arms wide for you. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but when you go to give someone an embrace and you open up your arms, it's a very vulnerable place to be. Because what if they don't respond? You just stood there looking a bit like, uh, yeah? Like the modern, the modern day might be, high five! You know, don't leave me hanging is the kind of the word that you, you, you yeah? That's the kind of way you're feeling. Jesus spread his arms out wide, ready for you to embrace him. Yeah? Got to trust him. Got to trust the word. He is the word made flesh. Okay? We don't worship the Bible. 
We worship the word made flesh. But this points to him. And everything in here is true and infallible. Feeling love from God and accepting that and living into that and dwelling in that place. That's what having a childlike faith is. It's not being immature. It's not being simple. But it is accepting that simplicity of what Jesus says. It's believing him on face value. It's being receptive to the words that he says. To the words that have been recorded over time. And it's stepping in and it's saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. It is to you that I come. It is to you that I want to give everything. And I'm reminded of the words that Jesus says in, in Matthew 6. After he's talked a whole lot about the kingdom, he says at the end of Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you. He's just talked about not worrying in life, about the things that you're going to wear, about the things that you're going to eat. So let's not spend time worrying about the things of this world. Because God provides. He is Jehovah Jireh. He provides. Live in to living the life that he is calling you to. Which is topsy-turvy. Which is upside down. Which is inside out. Back to front. Go against the grain. Be countercultural. And stand up for what the word says. Stand up for his kingdom. And operating in a way which he has called us to be. Let me pray for you. Lord, we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. You are king of kings. And when we want to see your kingdom more, Lord, help us to step into naming you as king, naming you as Lord in those areas of our life where we have yet been able to do so. For your word, for your written word, which is here to guide us and to lead us, Lord, we give you thanks. Help us to digest it. Help it to be for us daily bread. Where we lack understanding, Lord, provide that through your spirit. Give us wisdom. Help us to lean on your insight and not our own. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill each of us this day. Not only filling us, but empowering us to work in and through that power. So that we can take your word into the places that it is needed. So we can turn this world upside down. As we pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen.